hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. Uh, Scentlock, in my opinion, everybody makes good clothing these days. I'm not saying that. I mean, camo is camo, right? Uh, Grandpa killed killed deer in his flannels. But what I will say is in the BE1 series, uh, that toolkit for bow hunters is just a super complete toolkit. Um, and the carbon technology for maximum odor absorption is what, in my opinion, really sets Scentlock apart, especially in the Whitetail Woods. I would highly recommend you go check it out. I've got a good friend of mine from here in Kansas, the great state of Kansas. There's only four good people in Kansas, and you're one of them. <laughs> you know it. I've got Nick Deeker from Nick's Knife Works. Nick, how are you, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I don't get the pleasure of having people in studio often, um, which is just it's a lot better that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I would prefer it that way, too. Talking on the phone is not near as fun as uh, talking face-to-face. It is not. Um, it's not near as it, I'm, it, it's not near as engaging. It's not, it's not near as fun. We don't get to shoot bows before. Yep. That's what's the fun part. Yep, and I can get your uh, facial expressions and see the disappointment in your eyes <laughs> looking back at me. You can see when I fall asleep. Yeah. Most people can't. Yeah. No, my favorite part about Zoom is when, um, like, a guest will see my video cut off, and they're like, what happened? I'm like, I just had to run pee, and I'm in there peeing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, just keep talking. You're good. <laughs> All that gets edited out, sure. but it still happens. Yeah. Um, no, man, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, we had, if you, have you ever heard of, well, I can't ask the guest, but ceviche. Um, we just had some ceviche, which was phenomenal. It was. It was very good. I had never had it either, so, nor had I ever heard of that before. Me is me neither. It's because we're dumb rednecks. But um, I caught some crappie a long time ago, three years ago. Caught a whole bunch of crappie. And uh, I'm good friends with uh, – his name's Mike Casanetta. He's one of the top ten chefs in America. And he said, well, why don't we try some ceviche with it? And I'm like, because I don't know what that is. And if I can't spell it, I don't eat it. Yeah. And he's like, we have to, dude. And I'm like, whatever. And so he puts this fish in a bowl of lime juice. And I'm like, dude, I can get down with some soaked lime. I soak some fish in lime. Yeah. And then let's deep fry that mug. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, no, this is cooking it. And I'm like, to heck it is. That ain't cooking nothing. And he said, no, the acidity of the lime juice will actually cook the fish. So there's no heat involved. There's no fire involved. There's no grill involved. I'm like, oh, but there's some hot oil that we're going to drop it in and fry it right and he's like no there's nothing this is cooking it and i'm like i don't know about this and uh anyways so basically you use the acidity of lime to cook this fish and i fell in love with it i'm like dude this is phenomenal and uh so last week went out with a buddy and we tore up some crappie first person i texted was mike and i'm like dude i've got crappie and he's like let's do it and uh so you came over tonight and we had some mike Casanetta ceviche yeah and it was good i was very impressed it was decent. <laughs> it was, if he's listening, I can't give him a big head. Sure. I mean, you got to keep him humble. <laughs> keep him humble. Yeah, I think uh, I think Food Network took away his humbleness when they said you're one of the top ten chefs in America. <laughs> I could see how that would happen. <laughs> no. Um, so I wanted to have you on, man. I uh, Recently, I've, I stumbled upon your knives. I was getting home. I'd been on a hunt in Oklahoma and uh, was chasing some whitetails, and I was with our – 
our buddy Aaron Zish. And we get home. It's like two in the morning, and you know Aaron never shuts up. Right. Like yeah. even when everybody else is tired, like he's the dude in camp that's like, "Oh, let's play one more round of cards," you know. And you're like, <laughs> "Aaron, shut up! It's bedtime." But anyways, we had just gotten home, and I was wore out. And he's like, "Dude, have I ever showed you these knives?" And I'm like, "What knives?" I know you haven't showed me anything. And he pulls up your page on Instagram, um, and he starts showing me your knives, and I'm like, "Holy crap!" Like, these are phenomenal. There's not much that gets me woken up at 2 a.m. after a hunt, but knives will do it. And uh, and so I start looking, and uh, as I hold one now, and I was looking at them, I'm like, man, these are phenomenal. And I just had to get a, a hold of you. And then I find out that you're a traditional bow hunter, and I'm like, yeah. well, if you're going to hand forge knives, you're probably a traditional bow hunter. Uh, that's just the only way to do it. Sure. And so I wanted to get you on, man. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm super thrilled. I have uh, I've never been on a podcast before, and... And so this is a new experience for me, but I'm excited about it. Well, has anybody ever told you you got a face for radio? <laughs> I uh, I don't know as, any, as if anybody's ever told me that, but I would believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I'm excited. We shot some bows beforehand. We started talking about your kind of journey into uh, traditional archery. Yeah. Um, what did that look like for you? Because I know a lot of guys, I get that question all the time Yeah. of how to make the switch from a compound to a recurve. And if you do, how do you bounce back and forth? Um, let me just say this. It's a hard thing to do to bounce back and forth. Yes, it um, is. In my opinion, especially trying to hunt back and forth. Uh, so, and I, you told me some, some really interesting stuff about kind of the transition. And, and uh, so I'm curious to know how'd that go for you? Yeah. So... <clears throat> Just to simply start out by saying that for whatever reason, I, I had a, a kind of a natural draw towards the simplicity of it. Just um, it was something that I always wanted to do, even at a young age. But I, I didn't because you know my dad taught me hunting, and he hunted with you know Tradbull years and years ago. But right. then he shot a compound. He set me up with a compound, and that's just the way we started. Yeah. But something always something always drew me to towards the simplicity of a stick and a string and i think it's the same thing that draws you to making your own knives yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it there is some some crossover there but um i think i was a sophomore in high school and uh was strolling through um one of the oh gosh I can't even remember the name of it it was one of the kind of off-brand sporting goods stores on kellogg there um drawing a blank but anyway and there was a longbow on the shelf and um i just i couldn't keep my eyes off it you know I, all i was there for was some arrows or something else but i at that time i started making a little bit of my own money i had some money to spend and i saw that bow and i just could not take my eyes off of it and it was a martin the stick and it is a stick yeah it's really small short little longbow which was fine for me at the time because i was young and uh, wasn't quite the same size that i am now and i bought that bow and just started playing around with it and i played around with it just for fun for years and years um, and eventually that became my bow fishing bow and so i shot tons and tons of fish with that longbow and uh, that's what really taught me how to shoot but um over time, I just was determined I wanted to, to hunt with it, not just shoot fish. And I was nervous about it for the simple fact that I, I didn't feel confident to make an ethical shot at any amount of distance. Because when you're shooting fish, you know, you're shooting five feet. Especially when they're, when they're in the koi feet. pond in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> no, I never Mom did that. Mom was super mad. <laughs> never did that. <laughs> Attempted, but never did that. Um, but yeah, we shooting fish is super close range and it's a snapshot. It's really fast, no really close. Yeah. And you just, um, it's more about quantity yeah. than quality. Whereas with hunting, you make one quality shot, not a thousand quantity shots like you yeah. do bow fishing. And so anyway, that was what really got me started with a stick and a string. And eventually I started trying a turkey hunt with that bow which it was a shorter bow, so it kind of worked for being on the ground. And uh, tried to turkey hunt with that for a long, long time, unsuccessfully. But um, then I started working at a bow shop for a few years, about three, three and a half years, uh, local bow shop, and 
had access to a lot of different bows and shot all sorts of bows. Might and, I add a phenomenal bow shop too? Yeah. Big super, bear dealer. Um, super great bow shop. They carry shop. a ton of scent lock. Yep. I know I was in there not too long ago and they do have uh, what, in my opinion, is the best bow that Bear made this year. And the compound line is the Alaskan, and they had two of them in there. Um, so go check them out. El Dorado. Yep, El Dorado, Kansas, Sutherland's, Sutherland's Outdoors. And um, so while I was working there, I started playing around with all the bows and um, kind of towed the line dabbling in both worlds, so to speak, between traditional and compounds for for a few years. And... Um, building confidence the whole time, starting to play with it more in the woods, you know, alternating back and forth, which, as you mentioned, very difficult to do. And one season in particular, I actually carried both to the stand all season. I carried a compound and a longbow with me to the tree stand uh, on on most every deer hunt. And um, (laughs) I felt really silly doing it, but it was just a choice that I had made that I wanted to be able to take that shot if it presented itself, at, you know, less than 20 yards. But if a shot opportunity presented itself beyond 20, I wanted to be able to yeah. capitalize on that too. Absolutely. But I did the same thing as a kid when I made the tra- the transition to bow hunting. I would carry my bow and my rifle. Yeah. And then I got really mad because I was shooting all these deer at 40 yards with a rifle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my dad just straight up said, he's like, well, dude, as long as you keep carrying that rifle, you'll never shoot one with a bow. Yeah. Because the first time they get to 40 yards, you're popping them. You got to wait for them to get to 20, 30, yep. 31, whatever. You got to wait and you'll never. And the same is true. And that's why it's such a dangerous game. Uh, because, I mean, if you if you dabble, you'll shoot a lot with your compound. And then you'll be like, why aren't I shooting any with my recurve? Because you're shooting them when they get to 30 yards with your compound yep. instead of waiting for them to get to 20. Yeah, that's true. I don't mean to cut you off. Go no, ahead. you're good. I, uh, I uh, eventually um, did take a doe at 18 yards with a longbow and man i tell you what those those traditional archery teeth sunk so deep into me in that moment oh, i yeah. was like my adrenaline spiked higher than i think it ever has in my entire life for reference what years how long ago was this this was i think seven years ago and i was over the moon excited about that doe and it was a great shot. She only went like 35, 40 yards and crashed, which was shorter distance, mind you, than I think any deer I had ever shot with a compound, which shocked me. Um, just the fact that it, it um, the blood trail and the lethality yeah. um, was so much better with, um, with that big cut on contact broadhead and, and the setup that I had at the time. So anyway, shot that first doe and I, I was hooked. I, I, I um, was all in on traditional archery from then on. There was one, um, I guess you could say, one season between then and now that I did pick up a compound. My wife was very pregnant at the time. And um, <laughs> we were expecting a child right in the heart of deer season. And I knew that my chances of hunting that year were going to be very, very brief. And I had, I had talked myself into taking a compound. And I did. And I shot a doe with that compound at 55 yards or something like that. And it just felt wrong. Like it, it didn't, it did not feel the same. It, it, the doe that I shot with the traditional bow prior to that dwarfed that that experience of shooting that doe with a compound after the fact. And I just, from then on, I knew I could never go back. I sold every compound I had. I sold every accessory that I had. I sold it all. And I committed 100% to traditional archery and never looked back. Well, and that's that's your answer there. Like, if you ask somebody, um, when do you know to switch or... I get that question all the time. How do I know I need to switch? If you no longer feel the excitement of shooting an animal, you need to do something different. Absolutely. Um, and, and be it, you know, our friend Aaron, uh, he switched from a tree stand to, to spot and stalk to get that feeling back. Um, no matter what the switch is, but if you no longer feel that euphoric high with a rifle, it's time to pick up a bow. 
If you no longer fill that euphoric high with a, uh, with a crossbow, time to pick up a compound. If you no longer fill that euphoric high with a compound, it's time to go to a, to a longbow. Um, it, and I don't want to say we're chasing highs because that's not why we hunt. Um, you know, I, I don't want to start getting hate mail about, oh, you just hunt for your excitement and your joy. No, um, that's wrong. But um, I still well, you'd want... You'd be lying if you said it wasn't fun, right? Exactly. I mean, that's why we're doing it. It's fun. 100%. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie through my teeth and say I don't enjoy hunting and I don't right. enjoy chasing the animal. Uh, but that, that moment you no longer feel that switch go off, you need to train, change something. Um, now, I will say this, though. The only reason I don't go 100%, this question I get more than anything, are you going 100% recurve? Um, and to everybody that asks me that, I say no. Only reason is... I switched, I didn't switch, I started shooting traditional to be a more well-rounded archer, not to go one-dimensional. Um, you know, beforehand, I was strictly compound. I didn't shoot a crossbow, I didn't shoot a rifle, I was strictly a, a compound shooter. And I felt so one-dimensional. I felt so just one-sided in archery. And so I added in the element, now I will say this, 75% of my hunting will be with a a, a, a uh, recurve or a longbow. Um, 75% of my hunting will be, um, but I didn't want to be stuck in archery. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I feel like we get to that place with a compound uh, or, or whatever it is you shoot, you mm -hmm. get stuck, and there's no more pushing yourself. Sure, you can go further distances with a compound. You can go out to 100, 120. Uh, but even we were talking, there comes a place where – you just hit the kill zone at 120, and you're like, I hit it, you know? Now what? Um, and unless you're going to go straight James Jean and start doing crazy stuff, you feel stuck. And uh, and I felt stuck in archery. There was no more. There was nowhere else to go. Um, now, I'm not – please don't start calling me. I understand no matter what, it's hard to go out and shoot an elk with a, a compound or a mule deer or a blacktail. I know that it's hard, and, and that's a challenge. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying inside of shooting a compound there's no more challenges. Right. But I'm just saying I personally felt stuck. There was no challenge in going out and shooting anymore. And so that's why I started shooting a, a traditional bow uh, to be more well-rounded. And so I don't want to limit myself to just a, a traditional bow. Sure. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, personally... I, uh, I like to eat venison. You know, venison helps feed my family. I love eating it. It's, it's a great food source for us. So when I come up empty-handed, which happens a lot because I limit myself by using a traditional bow, um, the, the shot opportunities are fewer and farther between. So at, you know, rifle season comes along. If I've got a tag and I want to fill it, I have very little hesitation about picking up a rifle and dropping a doe for the venison you know that that doesn't bother me a bit i and i am a bow hunter and i am a traditional bow hunter but i'm also a hunter i'm also a uh, a person who likes to to eat venison so the one thing about switching to traditional archery um that you, at the end of the day you have to be okay with going home empty-handed yeah i mean you you don't i mean there are guys out there don't get me wrong. They are absolute killers. With no matter what weapon they have, they find a way to get it done. And there are guys out there that fill a ton of tags with traditional equipment every year consistently. I'm not one of them. There are years that I don't fill any tags. There are years that I don't even get a shot opportunity to try and fill a tag. And um, I'm okay with that. I've, I have come to a point in my life that I want to do it my way. I want to do it with a longbow, and if I don't get it done at the end of the day, I'm okay with that. Do you do you only do you only hunt public ground? No, it's a combination. Okay. Um, I have some private ground that I can deer hunt on and turkey hunt on. I do some public land hunting. Um, the the private land that I whitetail hunt is very small, and I can burn it out really fast if I'm not careful. Um, so I use I use a couple of different ways to. But it's to the hunt. best. It's the best two acres in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, there hey, are. I will deer say there. this though. I will say this though. I've got a five acre place, and uh, I've had it for um, eight years, and I've never hunted it. Um, there's always been a dog living on the property, 
And inside of five acres, if a deer gets on that five acres, a dog does a good job of running it off. So I would have a couple does on camera, a couple decent little stringy bucks, you know, I mean, nothing special. It's five acres. And uh, my wife decided she wanted to start bow hunting this year. And I'm like, well, I'll go out there and I'll check out that place. Well, the dog was gone. That helped. Yeah. And there's, a, might I add you, there's a house inside the five acres. So literally anywhere you hunt, you're a hundred yards from a house. Um, but I set some corn up and I set a camera out just to get some pictures, some inventory. And I go out a week later and I'm like, holy crap. There's shooter after Got shooter after shooter. And I'm like, good Lord. I mean, I'm talking a couple of them 150s. And uh, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And uh, so five acres, man, don't shake your, don't shake, don't put your nose down to it. Yeah. Well, this isn't five. This is, this area that I'm talking about is about 60 acres. And um, it's a challenging spot to hunt the way that the, um, there's a ridge that runs north and south. And um, the winds swirl along that ridge in the timber really bad. And it, it's, it's a difficult property to hunt, but it does hold deer. And it is a, it is a blast to hunt, um, you know. But it's not massive, so if you hunt it too hard, you hunt it when the wind's wrong, or you catch that swirling wind rolling down through there, it can change things. And so you got to have options. Yeah, no, I get I get that. Uh, before we move on, uh, shout out to our boys over at Selway Archery. Um, we were out shooting, and and I said, well, listen, I don't know, I don't know about you yet as a person, uh, but you're a Selway guy, so that helps. And and I'm obviously never gonna say. Um, any other brand names but you know we started talking we've used other uh, traditional quivers in the past and be it however pretty they are or however fancy they might be they just the functionality isn't there as in a cell way uh, guys i would if you're in traditional archery i would highly recommend you to check out Selway archery for whether you're shooting a longbow recurve takedown whatever it is whether you want to bolt on a strap on whether you want a, a, a slide on which in my opinion is the best uh, because it acts as a dampener for your bow as well. But whatever it is you're looking for in traditional archery quivers, go check out Selway, especially if you want a custom Razorback branded one. Or like that one. That's my hunting 101 one there. Um, cool. I like that. was the first one they ever made me, and it won't ever go on a bow just because it's special to me. It's very cool. Special. Yeah, I'm um, partial to the slide-on as well. That uh, The way that slides on the limbs like that, it acts as a limb saver and cuts vibration like you wouldn't believe. And it's so tight on there. I mean, yeah, it fits. Once you moves. get it on, uh, tip. I'll give you guys a tip. If you do get a, a slide on and you wonder why it doesn't stay in place, our boy Aaron struggled with that for a while, why it doesn't stay in place, just put a little water on your fingers, put them around the limbs, um, and then it'll allow you to push that on there further, and then it'll dry and stay and it won't move. Um, just a tip to help you get it on there tighter. Um, but that's a, you know, beside the point. Um, now I'm curious, my problem with the switch lies in the fact that a lot of guys, they have this expectation of, and and it's because they, they buy into the mainstream media hype Mm. of, of traditional archery. Um, and, and people, they start shooting for six months and they get to where they can hit a pie plate, you know, at 20 yards pretty regularly and they go out and hunt and then they wound a whole lot of animals. And my problem is, and, and I'm not speaking as to, I've never wounded an animal and I'm not speaking that I never mess up. I never miss. Um, told you I missed just three days ago on an animal, um, ended up follow following up and killing it. But I missed, I botched a shot, and I'm not saying that. But they continue to to buy into the hype of, of traditional archery, and they continue to wound animals. So vice versa, I had a friend, I'm not going to name any names. Um, he's been on the show several times. People would know him. Um, he made the switch, and he said, I'm going 100%, I'll never look back. Well, he shot two turkeys and wounded them both. And so as an ethical hunter, he said, I had to go back. I you know, it was either go back or not hunt anymore. And we're, you know, 12 hours from home on a turkey hunt. I, I had to hunt. And he's like, but I had lost faith in my ability. Um, so I had to go back. I didn't yeah. want to. So vice versa, how do you know, okay, I can't make the switch yet. I don't need to be hunting with this yet. Yeah, I, um, 
I, you know, over the years, I've gone through different periods of time where my confidence has been gone. Yeah. Right. I think we all do. We go through seasons in which we're shooting really well. Our confidence is high. And some days you just feel like, you know, you're awesome and you can't miss. Then there's other days in which you can't hit a target to save your life and you get really discouraged and your confidence tanks. And you want to throw it in the fire pit. Yeah, and it's a struggle. I mean, that's why some people call it a struggle stick, right? I mean, every day is its own challenge when it comes to picking that up and shooting it. Uh, for me, when those moments come, when those seasons of difficult, you know, low confidence come, my effective range decreases. Very good. I mean, I have gone out into the woods before telling myself that if I take a shot today, it will be 15 yards or under. And I position myself in a way to where if a shot opportunity is going to be there, it is going to be within my yeah. limitations. I've got certain spots on my property that I know this trail, this pinch point will set me up for success at that distance. Yeah. I don't set myself on a field edge where I can see hundreds of yards and I'm tempted to take a 35-yard yeah. shot when I'm not confident in doing so. So um, I'll put myself in certain spots where I may not see a deer that's it. But if I do, that deer is going to be right in my lap. Right. And so that helps me. It helps me control my temptation to shoot further than I am confident in doing so. And that, that may change. You know, one month my limitation may be 15. The next month it may be 25. And I position myself accordingly to set myself up for success. See, and I always tell people, they say, what's your effective range? And if you want to go out right now and shoot for dollar bills, I'm going to pick 35, 38, 40 yards to shoot against anybody. Yeah. The reason being is because that's my point on is right underneath that. So I really shrink up my point on and I shoot really well at that distance. Um, like my hog target out back, it's at 31 yards. And even that is a little close. But if I put, if I put the, one of the targets outside the fence and I'm shooting at 35, 36, I shoot really, really well. Um, now that is not my effective range. And people are like, well, why not? If that's your favorite shot, because with a long bow or reeker, a lot can happen in 34 oh, yeah. yards. That deer can be completely gone in 34 yep. yards. And so that's not my effective range. Although I shoot it the best at a target, I'm not going to take that shot on an animal. Um, and again, people do, and I'm not saying anything against uh, people who do. If it's a giant, slow animal, absolutely, I'll take that all day. But on a whitetail, uh-uh. On a turkey, no way. On an antelope, definitely not. Um, because they're so fast, they're so skittish, they're so string shy, a lot can happen. Uh, now, on a bigger, slower animal... Sure, I'll, I'll poke it. Um, but anyways, I, I say all that to say this. Um, know your effective range and then don't shoot a yard past it. Yeah. Because what happens is these guys, they find out their effective range. They say, okay, I won't shoot anything further than 20. Well, then a giant comes at 22 and they're like, oh, yep. but it's close enough. Yep. You know, it's close enough to my effective range. I hit well, that shot half the time. Yeah. It might be this time. Yeah. And yeah. then we play that game of, well, Ah, 26 it's not that much further than 20 um so i the biggest tip whether you're hunting with a, a recurve a compound a crossbow a rifle doesn't matter know your effective range and stick to it um my effective range on a whitetail is 24 yards and i won't shoot further than 24 yards um on a on a whitetail be it that that's just people say why um because my antelope target out back is at 24 yards and I can stack five of six in a kill zone um, or seven for eight, eight for 10, you know, whatever it might be. And I feel confident at 20, 24 yards. I actually feel less confident at seven, eight. Yeah, it's a five, tough shot. Because you're shooting four feet under the deer, you know, to kill yeah, it. Yeah, it's um, tough. So anyways, I say all that to just say um, don't give up on it. Now, if you're in a, if you find yourself in a predicament like my buddy um, and – you know, it's either keep wounding animals or switch to a, a compound. Maybe you've realized I need to give it one more year or I need to give it one more summer. or I need to give it one more go around, you know, before I dive into this fully. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, to be a hundred percent honest, traditional archery is not for everybody, right? I mean, you can try it, 
give it a go and maybe it's not the right fit for you you know and that's okay don't let anybody tell you otherwise i tell people all the time i'm like even if you never hunt with it do it in your backyard it's fun it It, is fun for me it makes me a better archer with my compound as well um that's a question i get asked a lot too is if it if there's any crossover and I've, i've answered that on the podcast before so i don't want to dive too deeply into it but to answer that question i just say when i switched to a to a recurve it forced me to think about every part of my shot my grip my hook my anchor um picking a spot and pulling through the shot yeah, a lot more back tension yeah it forced me to play all of that and so in doing that i fully broke down my shot so when i switched back to a compound i had a newly reconstructed shot process and i had broke down every portion of my shot and then it transferred over to my compound yeah can you do that without switching yeah 100 uh, but switching forced me to do that and so i always tell people if you never even hunt with it it's fun to do in the backyard for sure yeah, it is fun. Between unless you shoot the way me and you shot tonight, then it's not fun. <laughs> I still had a good time, but um, you know, making it fun by you know popping balloons, um, moving targets, like you can do a lot of things that just make it fun. Especially if you have kids, you know, little kids out there can can pick up a little you know uh, bear one shot or whatever the entry level yeah. bear longbow is. Yeah. And you can go out there and have a great time at short distances, and it's a blast. Absolutely. Yeah. No, my kid, my kid goes out there all the time, and and even when he was two years old, uh, he would shoot his little Nerf bow at it. Yep. Um. And, and yeah, absolutely. And he'll we'll come home from school, and he'll say, "Dad, let's go shoot your arrows." And I'm like, "Let's do it, man." And yeah. uh, and I'll even get you know I'll even let him wear a glove and pull back my bow a little bit and i'm pulling it back a lot further for him and and i'll say okay one two three and we'll both release you know and he thinks it's the coolest thing ever and uh of course i keep it fun just with the targets um people all the time walk in my backyard and like you've got a goblin target and i'm like my kid loves it you know it makes them want to shoot yeah um so yeah i mean there's definitely ways to switch it up without taking a, a dive off off into the deep end yeah yeah, back to the uh, the hunting thing, though. Um, I will tell you, uh, the most difficult thing that I have faced when shooting uh, traditional equipment, uh, especially deer hunting, turkey hunting, hitting too. the target. No, no it's actually <laughs> not. It's, uh, for me, personally, the most challenging thing about it is getting to full draw. I have busted... And I, most of this is because I hunt a lot on the ground, but um, I have had so many opportunities where I would get busted on the draw and never even get the shot opportunity because things went wrong in me trying to get yeah. drawn. And especially at, on the ground at very close distances, getting drawn back has been the hardest thing that I have had to learn. And... Um, it's it has been such a frustrating experience learning it but uh so what have you learned in that like what 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 tips have you learned in that mostly patience um i i get really really excited and really anxious the deer's there within range i've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment all of that builds up and you rush it you want to get that shot off. You want to capitalize on that moment because that deer's close enough. That deer's finally close enough, and you want to get that shot. And um, so having to wait till they're looking the other way or their eyes are blocked by a tree or whatever it is um, has been a big life lesson in patience. Yeah. And more so um, well, the a lot position. Of that, a lot of that happens in the setup before you ever start hunting. Yeah. Uh, I've had guys say, well, why are you setting up here? And I say, because that tree there, they're going to have to go behind. Yep. When they go behind it, I can draw. And they're like, exactly. oh, you know, I've seen guys set up on a field edge where the deer has nothing to go behind ever at any point. And I'm like, when do you draw? You know? Um, and if it's legal and you hunt over bait, uh, I try to position the bait behind a tree. That way the whole time they're feeding, their head is behind a tree. Uh, I still have a perfect shot at the vitals, but um, perfect example. We went down to Oklahoma and and uh, 
Aaron was sitting with, uh, I told you we took Joey Zatmary, who is the, the national champion strongman out, and Aaron was kind of his coach. And the corn was placed behind a group of three trees. And, uh, and the guy was like, well, it's behind a tree. And Aaron's like, I know, because that way when they're feeding, their heads are down behind a tree the whole time. And we've got all the time in the world to draw a bow back and get a shot at the vitals that are still perfectly out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, perfect. A lot of that happens before the hunt even begins. Yeah. Yeah, I have. That's absolutely right. I have learned. Um, I like to position myself behind a very large tree to where I can see the direction in which I expect the deer to come from. And then I have a long window in which they're behind that tree that yeah. I'm behind to where I know I can draw and then they present themselves. But it, it doesn't always work that way for traditional because you can only hold that bow back for you know, a very, small, a very yeah. short length of time. Yeah. And so the timing of how all that works, even if you do everything right and you try and uh, set yourself up for success, sometimes the deer will pause. Yeah. Sometimes the shoulders back and they haven't stepped, you know, they need to take a step and you're sitting there shaking like a leaf, just trying to hang on. And all of a sudden your shot breaks down. Um, and you got to have the, the self-control to either let down and try again, or the shot opportunity passed and you just have to watch them walk away. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's just so many things that have to come together to make it work. And that challenge is what, you know, what drives me. Do you avoid the shot? This is a loaded question, and I'll get hate over it. Do you avoid the shot altogether if the shoulder's back? No, depending on the distance. Good, because me neither. I uh, <laughs> I'll just pull it back a little bit further and still punch through the lungs. I mean, if I, I mean, if that deer's at twelve yards, I I have zero second thoughts about that shot. Yeah. If it's partly quartering away zero second thoughts about that shot i try to almost always wait for a quartering away shot it's a great angle it's a fantastic shot angle Um, yeah i've had deer completely at broadside and i'll have the cameraman say why aren't you shooting and i'm like just give it a second then they take half a step and they're quartering away and i'm like now i'll shoot it yeah you know i mean it's just in my opinion you cannot beat it you're gonna slip through everything you're gonna blow the back shoulder out on the way out and then they can't run with that shoulder you know blown out i mean it's just (laughs) It's a great shot, in my opinion. Um, sitting here, I'm playing with this knife. What tell, You said this is your best-selling style of knife, um, which, might I add, this one here is my producer's, um, was my producer's, uh, before he even knew it was his. Um, but, yeah, he's not getting his hands on this because this thing's stinking sweet. Tell me about it. What is it? Yeah, so that style that's that's becoming, I think, one of my most popular is it's a small knife. It's six inches overall length. The total length of that knife is six inches long. It's, yeah, so the whole concept about this knife um, and its small size is for a more concealable fixed blade. Everybody loves pocket knives. Everybody loves folders for everyday carry, and for good reason. They're convenient to carry. Um, and that one, I designed a sheath that it, it's, it's meant to fit inside the pocket. So it, has and it a, does really well. Yeah. It has a clip that, that if you didn't otherwise know, and somebody else saw it in your pocket, it looks like a little folder. The yeah. presentation is good. And what kind of brought about that whole concept was, um, prior to this, I was making uh, belt loop style carry sheaths. And whether it be a six, seven, eight, nine, ten inch knife, whatever it was, it was always kind of exterior carry on the belt. Right. And I would always carry my own knife, you know, partially for marketing, partially for its functionality um, at my day to day life in my job and, and around the house or whatever. And um, there would be moments in time where, so to back up, in my job, I'm in and out of people's homes all day, every day all types of different people, right? Old people, young people, all different types. And the, the presentation of a, of a large bearded man, an otherwise <laughs> intimidating That man, looks like they could go bear hunting with a switch. <laughs> the little old lady, like, so when I say that, I'm thinking of the little old lady 
right? The little old lady that answers the door for me to come. And you do. got a machete hanging and from your yes, side. Yes, exactly. I've got <laughs> even if it's a small knife, just the fact that I have no right a fixed blade knife on my belt can be intimidating to certain people, right? Or going to church, or going to a funeral, or whatever the case may be. I always wanted to be carrying one of my knives, but the situation may not call for a presentation yeah. like that, where a large leather sheath is hanging off your belt. So I was like, how can I come up with a way to still carry my knife in all situations? And that's what led to this inside the pocket type of carry. And right. I tested it out for a long time. I really liked it. And I started making them, start selling them. And other people like it too. It's gone over very well. I love it. Love it. Fits in your hand really, really well. Yeah, it's kind of a three-finger grip. Um, it's it's not a full full hand, but it fits nicely in those in that three-finger uh, type of grip. All right. Uh, before we move on, uh, which I do have some more questions about knives, uh, of course, as I love knives. Quick thank you to our friends over at Three Rivers Archery. Uh, again, somebody else we started talking about. Just an absolute fountain of knowledge. Um, so as you make the switch. Um, I would highly recommend you to use them as a not only a shop, but a resource. When I was switching, I called those mugs all the time. They're like, yeah, it's stinking Dylan again, kid from Kansas. Uh, you take it this time. No, I'm not taking it. You take it. No, I'm just kidding. They're phenomenal. And whether you're going to shop with them or not, they are happy to give out knowledge. They're happy to give out information. And they know everything because they've been there done that seen it uh they know the equipment because they use the equipment largest in stock selection of traditional archery equipment same day shipping absolutely phenomenal three rivers archery.com they also uh carry a whole lot of cool bear archery products which one is a brand new sign i just got from my coffee bar out there uh just started carrying a traditional bear archery sign looks incredible but go check out three rivers archery um hunting knife it's no mystery um, and I'm not going to lie to you. You're my knife guy. Uh, but I, I like to have a cheap crappy knife in the bottom of my pack. And I say crappy knife, um, like, a an interchangeable blade knife that if I snap it, who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, if I got to unscrew something, I can use the blade and I'm going to chip it. Oh, well, move on, uh, throw a new blade on it. I like, I like that. But I also am a huge fan of always having a very well-built knife, um, one that is sharp, durable, can do everything. I know it's there. I know it's ready. What do you look for in a hunting knife? And, and I know that's a loaded question because we could talk skinners or we could talk fillet knives or we could talk. Um, but as an everyday in my pack, I need this for the mountain. I need this for whatever what do you look for in a knife, like material-wise, quality-wise? If somebody needs a hunting knife, what should they be looking for? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you uh, um, were specific about the, the purpose, the intent of the knife, because I think that's the most important thing when, whether you're purchasing a, a fabricated knife or a, you're buying a, having a custom knife built, the intent behind that knife and its purpose, the use for it, is really important. Um, because there are different knife designs, shapes, sizes, uh, how heavy it is, how thin it is, the edge geometry. There's all kinds of different reasons why a this knife is better for that than this other knife. You know, they're they can be great at a specific purpose, but not for another. But for an all-around general-purpose hunting knife, um, some of the things that shine for for me as to what makes that a good all-purpose kind of hunting knife is a couple of things one is the weight you, whether and this is a, this can be very a personal preference thing whether that blade is heavy or very lightweight and there's pros and cons to both but whether it be a really beefy thick heavy beefy blade that you're going to baton and chop saplings down with or a really thin light fast blade um, pros and cons to both, but you want to be you want to be mindful of that when you go to pick the knife that you want to carry. Is do you want it to weigh a lot, or do you want it to be really lightweight? And then of course the materials. The um, there are a ton of exquisite hardwoods, exotic hardwoods that are just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, what is this one? 
that is a stabilized box elder burl. And uh, keyword is stabilized, and that's part of um, uh, it's a process in which you are replacing the pores, the air pockets in that wood, with a resin that's hardened. So that is a natural hardwood that is beautiful, but it won't absorb moisture like wood would naturally if it wasn't stabilized. So between humidity changes, soaking up blood, cleaning a deer. Now, I will say I will have one of these in my pocket for hunting this year. Yeah, it's a fantastic all-around knife. Um, but whether it be a synthetic handle material or a hardwood material, you want to be mindful of the selection that you make because if, let's say, you're um, wading through creeks or you're doing a lot of fishing and you end up really wet environment or you hunt in Oregon and it rains every Gross. time you go yeah you know there's, there's nothing good about Oregon <laughs> I should have said Washington two How's of, that two of my two of my co-workers for Pope and Young live in Oregon I've got to bash them every time I can there you go <laughs> then there's a number of situations in which moisture can be a huge factor in the type of knife you pick either handle material sheath material blade steel there's so many options out there, and some are better for certain things than others. Um, but my taste, my personal selection is going to be a stabilized natural hardwood because that's most beautiful to me. And it's going to be a thin, um, a, a relatively thin blade. Pretty light, too. Pretty lightweight. And uh, it's going to be really well balanced. Not going to be real forward heavy, not real, you know, um, back heavy it's going to be pretty balanced and uh, it's going to be wicked sharp I just want to throw this at something does that make you mad no I mean <laughs> I tell you when I first got into this I was brutal I tested my knives so hard because I knew have you made throwing knives yet though not dedicated throwing knives but I've thrown my knives have you made ninja stars no I haven't I have not made ninja stars. Well, we'll get on that. <laughs> yeah, something that I could definitely try. What about um, throwing hatchets? No, haven't done that either. Man, you're slacking, bro. You know, I... You don't do any of the fun stuff. I've got a full-time <laughs> job, too, so the limited amount of time that I spend <laughs> on knives have you... uh, is dedicated to filling orders, gotcha. mostly. No, I, I... That's the fun stuff, though. It is fun. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, biggest tip... And this is this is a hard question, but biggest tip about a knife for hunting, what would that tip be? Um, man, that's a tough that's a tough question. I mean, I don't even know how to answer it. It's got to be sharp, right? Biggest tip that I could give anybody is either know know somebody that can sharpen your knives really well, which I would be happy to do for anybody at any time whether it's my knife or any other knife, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to sharpen it for them. But, um, if what a knife's not sharp, it's not, it's not worth you, anything. What you need to do though, is if somebody sends you in somebody else's knife, you call the guy back and like, do this knife, you can't sharpen it. How about I build you one that you can sharpen? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that would go over, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, biggest tip I can give anybody as far as the knife they carry with them is have you make seen, it sharp. If have you sharp. seen there's a new there's a new belt out uh it's by argali i think is how you say it uh met him in in portland oregon of all places disgusting no i'm just kidding <laughs> um and on the back of this they've built a really lightweight you know backcountry style belt and on the on the top of the buckle there's a stone so i have seen that without even taking your belt off you can just whoosh, whoosh, yes whoosh, that whoosh, is cool whoosh, whoosh. yeah yeah that is very cool. I think that's a brilliant idea. It is. Yeah, because even a uh, even a properly heat treated knife under heavy use in the backcountry, like you may want to touch it up before you cape that animal. Okay, so if your tip is to keep your knife sharp, what's your tip on sharpening knives? Learn how to do it. And do it right. <laughs> I you're, mean, such, you're such a, a redneck, dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes some practice. It really does. Whether it's a whetstone, you'll appreciate this though. files, whatever it is. My dad, my entire life. I got to tell the story before we go. I've heard this story. What story? About your dad sharpening knives watching TV. Yeah, but hold on, it gets better than that. 
So if you haven't heard, my dad, my entire life, like he would just sit there, you would be watching TV, all you would hear is whoosh, 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 and he'd look over at it, inspect it, whoosh. He loved sharpening knives. He had a passion for it. He loves it still to this day. One time when he was a young buck, he had just put a fresh blade on a knife. And I'm telling you, like, when he does it, like, he'll spend hours and that thing will be razor sharp and he, they're his babies. Anyways, uh, which he'll drool over this. Um, or he'll look at it and say, decent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, anyways, when he was a young buck, he had just put a new blade on a knife, sharpened it, you know, spent all of his time on it. And he went to walk away and dropped the knife. On his foot? And so he's he's watching this knife fall, and like in everything that's going through his head, and like the seconds that it's falling, he's like, "That's a new blade. I don't want it to hit the concrete." Oh. So he sticks his foot out to catch the knife, and oh. it goes right into his boot, into his foot. God. And everybody hurt. that hears that story is like, "Your dad's an idiot," and he'll be like, "But my knife did not get dulled. It didn't hit the concrete, <laughs> did it?" That's the kind of love my dad has for knives. Wow. That's he, dedication. He would rather stab into his foot than see his blade hit the concrete. That's some serious dedication. Yeah. See, I'm brutal on knives. And, like, um, you know, I'm the type of guy that I make dudes, like, my dad cringe because I'll, like, pop stuff open or, you know, unscrew something with my knife and you hear in the blade. But Yeah. I, so I'm that way, to too. For you. Yeah, I'm that way, too. I mean, I, I, I when I um, test these out, um, I want to make sure that nobody's going to test them harder than I will. And so my daily carry knife, I mean, I put it through the ringer as far as use it to cut carpet, sheetrock, baseboards. Did I use it, it as a screwdriver. put it in a dishwasher? I, no, I have not. Did you put, put it in, a, in a clothes washer? No, I haven't done that either. <laughs> uh, that, was prob- that probably is something I should do, but I haven't. I'd be curious to know what it would do. Dishwasher, uh, you can you can almost bet that the handles, the scales are going to separate from the tang. Yeah. No matter what, just because um, so much heat and moisture. Yeah, it's just it's going to happen. Now but, I'll uh, tell you what though, I'll test it out on this knife, Aaron's knife, my producer. I'll test it out on his knife, and I'll put let it you know through the washing goes. machine. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm sure he'll love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, anyways, my biggest tip on knives. And this is a good one, in my opinion. Um, I keep in my in my backpack. I keep what I call my kill knife, and that is deadly sharp, ready to cut apart an animal. Mm-hmm. And I keep that in the very back of my backpack. I don't use that for cutting straps. I don't use that for anything else in the field. It's in the very back of my backpack, and the only time it comes out is when it's time to 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 gut an animal or quarter an animal. Or process an animal. That's the only time it ever comes out. Reason being, it's in the very back spot, so I don't have to worry about like getting it out until it's time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have people all the time. They're like, "Well, how do you get to that without making so much noise in the field?" And I'm like, "Well, it doesn't matter. If I'm getting it's that dead. knife out, the hunt's over." Yeah. Um, but it's back there. I know 100% when I need it, it's going to be sharp. When I need it, I know it'll be ready to go. And I just keep it back there at all times for that. And then uh, you just made me a beautiful everyday grab off my bino harness and slice up whatever I need to slice up. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be my backcountry pizza slicer. There you go. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, for me, in, in the backcountry, I'll, I'll have a camp knife that's for food prep, for, you know, split and kindling, you know, anything around camp that you would ever need a knife for. It's big it's strong it's it's a large cutting edge um i got my camp knife and then i got my everything else knife which would be including processing game if if for whatever reason i happen to be successful um (laughs) it would be for that purpose but i would also use it for other things too it's the one knife i have in the field and then i have big knife at camp and uh, so yeah like we talked earlier different blades have different purposes and um, they're made for specific reasons. And so camp knife, hunting knife, I carry two as well. You know, people, sometimes people will come to me and they'll be like, I want one knife that'll do it at all. And it doesn't exist. I mean, there is yeah. no one knife that will do everything. A fillet knife is different than a chef knife. Yeah. A boning knife, a caping knife, a skinning knife, a camp knife you know, a general purpose utility knife. Like they are all different and they're different for a reason. 
Yeah. And you got to figure out either A, I'm going to have multiple knives for different things, or you're going to have to pick pros and cons, what's best for what you want to use it for. Yeah. And choose accordingly. Yeah, I will say, uh, and and I get that question about a lot of things, optics, boots. Sure. All the time. Yeah. Um, and the answer is always the same. There is no one do all. Um, like, boots is my biggest pet peeve. Like, if sure. I could pick one pair of boots, I'm like, yeah. stop, <laughs> stop. Seasons um, change, right? Yeah, because, like, if you look behind your, you there, I've got four pair of boots. Um, and I've got my lightweights running gun in Kansas. Um, I've got my pack boots from Schnee's. Uh, now, I can narrow it down. Like, I can say two pair of boots grab you a, a pair of pack boots for really snowy cold mm-hmm. winter muddy muck and then grab you a pair of of bear tooths uh or whatever like i can narrow it down yeah same with knives like you're right you're not going to get a one do all knife which is why i have one in my backpack um that stays there ready and then one do all knife i yep. mean that's so you can narrow it down i mean you can get there uh you can you can really slim it down but that's like saying i only want to shoot one arrow but I shoot a crossbow, I shoot a compound, I shoot a recurve. What arrow should I get? Yeah. Just not board. happening. Yeah. Not happening at all. Unless you're shooting a forty pound a forty pound compound and a sixty five pound recurve, it's impossible. You're not gonna find two. Um anyways. Yeah, and you just, can get lost in the weeds just on steel type alone. Yeah. You know, when 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 knife guys get um educated on steels, you know, they they there are different steels and there are there some steels are better for certain things than others whether it be uh, an, a blade steel that I use a lot is 1084 it the reason that I like that steel so much is because it's a very easy steel to sharpen is it going to hold an edge for as long as a super steel like MagnaCut or or SV3 or something like that no it's not but it, you're not going to have to fight tooth and nail to, to put that it. edge back on it. So is it safe to say, and now we're getting off in the weeds, is it safe to say easier it is to sharpen, faster it dulls? Um, it, and it's, you know, in a very simple form, yeah. Yeah, there there's some forgiveness there that also brings in some durability. You know, it's, it's not, uh, 1084 is a very tough steel. It's very forgiving as far as durability. So I think it can take more abuse. You put it through the same torture test as as a, a steel that's got a Rockwell hardness of sixty four. That's that's gonna that's gonna be more brittle. Uh, Rockwell hardness of a fifty eight, like ten eighty four, is gonna be a little bit more durable to certain tests, certain testing. Um, so they're right. like, when you go down that rabbit hole. Did you hear where they came up with that scale at? The Rockwell scale. Yeah. No. Somebody one time. <laughs> Somebody one time hit their knife with a rock and said, "Well, that broke it." <laughs> I I should have known. I I assumed <laughs> there would be a dad joke in that somewhere, <laughs> but I wasn't sure. But now I know. You've confirmed that. <laughs> Same with. Uh, I'm trying to think of where it's at in Can or in Oklahoma. But you pass a lake, and the exit to get off says a lot of water. <laughs> Is that right? And uh, and then the next at six, take a leaka. And it's because the Indians were driving down the road, and they said, "Look at that's a lot of water." And then they stopped and you know swam and drank. And then they said, "Oh, I got to take a leak." So they just named the two exits. I'm, I'm sure there's probably some mispronunciation. 100. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, or misreading. Anyways, uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on, man. Where can they find you at? Uh, Facebook at Nick's Knifeworks or Instagram at Nick's Knifeworks. Very simple. Where's your website at? I don't have one yet. Why not? I I it's in the works. I've got people asking me all the time, hey, what's your website? How can I order? And uh, that is a work. That's part promise. of your other business, Nick's website works. Yeah, I'm working on it. But, um, yeah, the best way to order right now is a is a is uh, just to message me on Facebook or Instagram. Very and cool. we can talk about it. Um, the, the biggest thing that uh, is difficult when it comes to custom knives is the wait list. I try and do my best to, to build them as fast as I can and maintain, um, you know, the type of quality that I am. It's worth I, the wait. I can only do so much, and uh, so the wait list tends to stack up. Most of the time, it's about a 12-week type of wait. Um, 
So you have to be a little bit patient, but it's worth it. So you're telling me my brother only has to wait 12 more weeks to get his everyday carry? Because this one's mine. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I uh, I know we're we're through the spring hunts um, for the for the large majority. Some of you still might be out on some spring hunts, um, but like me and Nick have talked about, get out there and start preparing for this fall if you wanna if you want to um, start making the switch. Um, it's gonna take a lot of work, so get out there and start practicing, start shooting, and know those effective ranges and stick to them. But these summer months are when you're really gonna work on those. Get out there and have fun. Guys, thanks for listening. Y'all have a great week.